I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I am Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Alex Stewart. Morning, Joe. Morning, Alex, and Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe. Guten Morgen, Seb. I get nothing from you. Anyway, uh, today we've got a special episode. Some might call it lazy. It's a Q&A episode where we answer your questions. A, because we don't like international football that much outside of a tournament. And B, because we haven't got any ideas. So thanks to you for giving us your ideas and for allowing us... Uh, to essentially do very little preparation work for something which is supposed to be of extremely high quality. Anyway, some of the questions that we discuss in today's uh, podcast, things about the French League. What about Beneliga? You'll understand what that means soon if you don't already. What team needs just one more step to be the great team? Something about a Manchester United central defensive midfielder, celestial horses, uh, overrated players, Aguero and Shearer. There are so many. There are so many things that we discuss, and it was a fun time, wasn't it, Seb? It was okay. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can hear you anxiously tapping the table after you say that. No, the table, the table, the, t- the table's, uh, it's a little bit unsteady, but it, I wasn't tapping the table. Well, it's not doing it now. Let me try that again. Isn't, isn't that, wasn't it fun, Alex? Yeah, it was great fun. There he goes. Seb, Seb will tell you how much fun it was if you ask him nicely. Hello, Seb. Was it nice? It was fine. It was okay. Yeah. <laughs> blood from a stone. <laughs> if you like blood and you don't want to draw it from a stone, but you want to draw it from a rich artery that's just gushing, then you should visit theathletic.com forward slash Tifa, <laughs> where you can avail yourselves of so much blood that you... Wouldn't you'll never have lived longer in your infinite lifespan than when you've when you've had this blood? It's the best, um, of course. By blood, I mean exceptional sports journalism, and uh, by drinking the blood, I mean consuming it uh, through your uh, smartphone app or through the desktop website. And uh, really fantastic stuff. Um, obviously, don't don't really drink blood. That wouldn't be that would be improper. But uh, in this metaphor that we're in. Glug, 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 blood. Yeah, that's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. And uh, for now, we will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of Seb Stafford-Bloor and Alex Stewart. Question number one, and this is from a person whose name I will not repeat because it's a trick name where they make you say it out loud and then, you know, it's a bad name. Why are France producing so many great footballers, but the French League, Liga, is so much weaker? That's a good place to start. Uh, Who wants this one, Alex? Yeah, so uh, I think in some ways, actually, these two things are kind of related to one another. Um part of the reason that France has spent such a lot of time and effort on producing young players is that actually uh, many Ligue 1 clubs and definitely lots of uh, Ligue 2 clubs are sustainable only on the basis that they sell players. So there's been a, a proper effort there to, to make that part of the business model. It, it kind of goes back to the 70s. Um, the, the French Football Association established a charter which forced clubs to have fully functioning youth systems uh, and then after that people like Gérard Dullier came along uh, with the Clairefontaine Academy emphasised technicality as well as physicality started to produce a, kind of a, a roadmap for, for good young players to come through I think there's also uh, localised factors so particularly in Paris but also in places like Lyon, uh, Marseille 
you've got a lot of municipal pitches, you've got a high concentration of population. Um, these kind of cage games can happen, which develop technical skills, and then those players get hoovered up by the, the already very good academies in those respective cities. So I think it's it's partly an emphasis on youth production, but, but one of the reasons that the league has remained relatively weak is that apart from PSG, there isn't a huge amount of investment investment in French clubs and therefore they have to keep selling young players in order to to be financially sustainable so it's a kind of vicious circle for France but it's a virtuous circle for football in general when when they play in the cage games do they ever climb up to the top and uh, suplex people off or is there anything I mean I know that was that's a cell isn't it rather than a yeah. cage but is there any kind of are there, are there st- metal steel chairs there or I suspect how, what's that's... the makeup that's something that scouts really look out for. Yes, is, is yeah. the ability to uh, to shimmy up the side of one and then sort of vault back down and, and injure somebody. Yeah, I, I make skill. that uh, make that little jesty comment only really because we we both know that Seb is an absolutely huge uh, WWE fan. So good massive, luck to you, Seb. Massive, massive. Uh, okay, is the French league that much worse though, Seb? Don't know that it is anymore. Is it worse? Is a really tricky term because it kind of ignores the fact that actually there is a lot of quality in the French league but it just happens to be at a different stage of development yeah I think what's interesting about this question is that it's two halves answer each other in the sense that um, French production lines have always been strong but if you look at the type of players that they've produced they've always been desirable so there's a great emphasis on attacking players there will always be a market for that kind of player so for instance you don't go in you don't nest, you don't tend to look for um, stodgy, no nonsense holding midfielders in France, do you? Um, there's a kind of an elegance and a technique and a flair. Where do you look for those? With. Where do they come from? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Any, anywhere where sort of players are sort of shaven headed and bearded. I right. think I, I, I'm I'm kind of still wedded to my old um, prejudices about like what I want from a holding midfielder. I want size and I want you know beards. And shaven heads. <laughs> no well, by the way, speaking of this, I don't know if either of you saw, but um, uh, Football Daily released a sort of little uh, short social clip the other day on Twitter where one of their presenters spoke to Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. And, this is uh, a it, terrible clip. Have you seen it? I have. It's, it's the clip where basically at the end, like uh, the, the presenter is, is interested in asking uh, Solskjaer about scouting and about interesting scouting stories. I actually once went to see a player and as he walked out of the dressing room or through the tunnel onto the pitch, he had a Mohican. This was yeah. when I was back in back in Norway and I just said to, to my scout that we, nah, let's, let's go home, not interested. <laughs> Honest not truth. for you. That's, so that, that was a, a very short uh, scouting trip. It feels like that's Solskjaer's Alex Ferguson routine occurring again because you can. In fact, Ferguson used to say things like this. So when he signed Karol Poborski after Euro 96, based on that wonderful goal against Portugal, he wrote in his book, Ooh, I'll have to do something about that hair, which is really a really weird thing to say about a player that you've signed. But it, 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 it also feels like something that in 1996 was probably 10 or 20 years out of date. And this is Solskjaer yeah. kind of, ooh, how, what would Ferguson say in this situation? I'd be interested to know as well what brought Solskjaer to watch that particular player because there's a there's a good chance if it wasn't solely based in data that that player was kind of unfairly privileged in scouting reports because his hair made him stand out mm, and therefore maybe. scouts paid more attention to him. I think it's just like it's a t- it's a touchy uh, conversation, a topic of conversation for understandable reasons. I mean, I think there's t- two ways of looking at it. One is that maybe somebody's hairstyle can tell you something about them if it's particularly sort of, um, if it's a kind of a, a, a big hairstyle, i.e., uh, not big in terms of size, but big in terms of personality. Maybe that tells you that that person is is a confident person, right? You might be able to uh, take that from someone who has them. I mean, he can maybe they're a confident person, but I think the problem is so much of these uh, these conversations, or in reality, these verbal digs, come from pundits and uh, observers of the game, and they are they often refer to black people. And uh, it's it's generally speaking, it's a slightly different scenario, isn't it? Like I wasn't, I didn't really think about this before the last couple of years, but my my partner is a is a teacher, and she told me once that years ago, when she was quite inexperienced teacher, she teaches in London. 
uh, to you know a, a, a group of kids. Uh, it's a you know a very big mixed culture. Lots of people from different backgrounds. That uh, she failed to notify the parents until the day before that school photos were going to take place, and she was surprised by the comeback because she hadn't thought about it either. It's just like ignorance, right? But uh, the the mothers of the the black children, particularly the black girls, were furious with her because it takes a really long time yeah. to uh, to uh, sort the the hair in the way that they would want to for a, for a photograph, or at least the, the way that those um, mothers are choosing to, or perhaps you know more broadly in a way that. Uh, British society is deems to be socially happy with, do you know what I mean? Which is a whole another kettle of fish. But I think this is the problem. Like it's two different sorts of conversations. One which is a fairly innocent and understandable one, which is that somebody's haircut can tell you something about them, right? I don't disagree with that. I think it would be mad to say that it can't. However, uh, the, the the idea that you're able to interpret what that is is a bit stupid. And also, maybe you're completely off the mark or maybe it's, you know, the veneer of confidence when actually it doesn't suggest that. Whatever, It's, it's not a good uh, thing to use as a measuring, a measuring stick. But also, it's often applied to black players. And I just feel that this, I feel that, that that context is entirely different and probably misunderstood by some of the people who are talking about it, which is why it feels like such a... A, uh, a a difficult uh, area and one that is potentially uh, reasonably going to upset people. Do you do you find it quite a strange thing for Solskjaer himself to say? Because yeah. if you think about the players that he played with, I mean, nobody did more stupid things with his hair than David Beckham did. Look at sort yeah. of Cristiano Ronaldo's haircut when he signed for Manchester United as a teenager. Diego Forlan, David Hayes messed about with his hair. He's had it in a mohican at different points of his career. I think you're right. I think it's playing a role. And I think if we were to apply the same kind of physical-only prejudice to Solskjaer to understand his behaviour, what I would say is that he looks like a boy and he's spent his life in a world of, like, air quotes, what he might consider to be men. And sometimes maybe he feels that he needs to say things that make him seem more like a man. You know, it's, of course, that's based on absolutely thing, nothing and is not true <laughs> and is, is purposefully, uh, humorously conjecture. Uh, so please don't take me seriously. But uh, you, you, you take the point. Yeah, no, I'm very accepting of the point. Good, good. OK, well, I'm glad we're all agreeing. Uh, next question is from ooh, Sven Janssen. Thank you to Sven Janssen for this. Quite. I like this one. Do you think Beneliga, the uh, Belgian and uh, Netherlands uh, combined league, uh, would make the teams in there more likely to catch up to the, the top European leagues? Ha! A question. Uh, thank you, Sven Janssen, for that. Um, Alex, what are your thoughts? I think a lot of it would depend on the broadcasting rights that would be um, achieved by that putative league. Obviously, broadcasting revenue can account for a huge proportion of what a club makes and currently the Eredivisie uh, and the Dupla League are not going to be getting huge amounts of money because they're not necessarily particularly attractive products outside of those home nations. If you bolt them together and you have some of the you know some genuinely good clubs but also clubs with with genuine kind of um, heritage in the European game particularly obviously Ajax, PSV, Feyenoord but also people like Anderlecht uh, that does then become a much more attractive proposition for broadcasters and yeah. that that amount of money could make a significant difference. You've also got potentially a more competitive league. I mean, the, the second division uh, in Holland largely, well, I think there's four or five B teams in that league from from teams in the top tier. So the, the, the talent is kind of quite stretched across those leagues, whereas if you condensed the best clubs from one league and the best clubs from the other and put them in the same one again it's more competitive it's more exciting so yes i think it would be very positive for them would it be more likely to catch up to the european top league i think that's hard because you've still got a, a massive gap to bridge i would say it's probably portugal that are the 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 league that are closest to being in the top five leagues uh, mm. currently um, but lots yeah, of great players out there. Lots of great players. Um, you know, teams that that tend to do well in European competition. Obviously, Porto, particularly this season in the Champions League, but also previously having won it. Um, so I think it would be I think it would be a legitimate challenger to Portugal. I don't see many other leagues stepping up in quite the same way. I mean, Austria's got some good teams and some good players, but 
but there is quite a, a, a fall off between Europe's top five leagues and the rest. Well, how do they work it out at the second level? Do they th- do the, 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 are the sort of second divisions still one Belgian, one Dutch? I, I assume that that they would be uh, like a larger set of of second divisions within those, and then promotion would come from the from winning that national league. But do you always have to make sure that you balance the number of Belgian and, and Dutch teams in the top league? How, like That's what confuses me when I think about the mechanics of it. If you had the three bottom-placed teams in that Benner league or the top league and they were all Belgian, yeah. for example. I don't know. I mean, there has been conversation around uh, sort of these pan-European things before, like uh, with cup competitions, there was an idea to bring, I think, some of the Scandinavian nations and Scotland together and have a have a kind of... Um, North Sea Cup competition so these things have been discussed before and I think the mechanics would be geared towards providing maximum interest in those two countries so it will probably be a one in one out from each of those nations to make sure that there is a balance in which case theoretically a team the lowest placed Dutch team could be 11th hypothetically and be relegated extremely unlikely but that, that could be the case yes I'd watch that though, you know. At least initially, I'd be really curious. Would you curious. though? Like, I'd, I mean, I'd certainly watch like the first couple of games. Yeah, but you'd have a curiosity as to what it would look like, and then yeah. do you have a sustained interest? It's kind of why I think it would make no, no difference whatsoever. Because I don't think it. First of all, I don't, I, don't, I don't think it can really happen because I think to make a structural change like this, I think it's either in Belgium or Holland, Netherlands, sorry, where you need to have a very high percentage of clubs in agreement to ratify a change like this. And obviously, it would disadvantage a lot of the teams um, lower down the table, threaten them with relegation to a second tier, deny them broadcasting revenue, which at the moment they're dependent upon. So it's very difficult logistically to see it happening. Also, it creates, Alex, Alex is right, it creates new games that people like us might be interested in watching, but people like us aren't what drives broadcasting payment. Yeah, but I reckon, um, though, let's say, for example, you're a slightly lapsed and direct fan. But now you play IX twice a year, you probably you're probably more likely to watch it. You you kind of already have this facility, don't you? Because if you're if you're a, a if you're an Andalek fan or if you're a if you're a fan of a club used to winning or finishing very high um, upper division, you have European football. And so yes, IX are a massive draw and probably so a final in PSV, like historically. But you're also probably getting fixtures against Maybe a Manchester United, maybe an AC Milan. Possibly what about if like you support Circle Bruges? Yeah, but then you're kind of the your your proposition is to become an also ran in a team full of clubs who are financially stronger than you are and have, you know, uh, historically a bigger draw. You're so depressing. You're such it's, a depressing man. <laughs> there's a very good article about this on the Athletic, so people hold oh. that down because it's a very good. Very good okay. arguments made about why this probably doesn't change anything. Then I'd here's another question for you. I want another okay. question. Uh, my question goes like this. How is this any different to a European Super League, just a lot smaller? Um, because you're not creating any fixtures that people really want to see in the mass No, 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 that's, n- that's not what I mean. I mean, just, just, <laughs> just in spirit. In, it really is. In <laughs> spirit, in like, size. Uh, hear, me, hear me out, hear me out. Okay. Uh, th- some of the, like, what I'm saying is, ethically speaking... Uh, we don't. We wouldn't consider this to be a bad, bad thing for them to do, right? No, it kind of makes no, sense. No. Why is therefore European Super League a bad thing to do? It's the same thing. Well, I agree. I, th- I think they're they're both bad things in terms of what they do to the ability of clubs to progress up a pyramid. Um, oh. Yeah, I'm, I, I I I like regional football. I like it to be contained within a country because I think that's where the you're a nationalist. No, 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 no. We don't we don't use words like <laughs> that. I just mean that. I believe in local geography for football clubs. I believe. In fans. I believe in local geography. I believe in fans being able to travel and watch their team. I don't. I don't. I don't want. I don't want Man United against AC Milan happening in a place where Manchester United fans can't travel and go and see it, or vice versa. I, I believe in local geography. Let's end it there. I, I, I take your point, but I just we'll end the podcast. Really that's, that's, that's it. That that's what you think. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Stuff25 asks, Alex and Seb, what were your thoughts on Luxembourg that Joe didn't let you share at the end of Monday's pod? Hey, guess what, Stuff25? F*** you. Uh, eye on it. <laughs> eye, eye on that triff. Which team do you think needs just one more step? Just one more step to be great. Uh, I mean, okay, the tedious initial point is what do you mean by great? Sunderland. No, um, I didn't mean that's what I meant by great. <laughs> I just meant that's the next step it needs to take. Oh, right. What, Sunderland just needs to... What? Needs to find itself a sugar today, you know? Um, it's found itself one. It, it has. It has a very yeah, young yeah, yeah, one, yeah, yeah. and he won a cup within four days of taking over. He got the oh. EF. Kyrell like, Louis-Dreyfus. Well, yeah. I am out of the loop, aren't Jonathan I? Jonathan Wilson wrote a quick piece on that because he's a, a long-time Sunderland fan um, yeah. who also, I believe, probably advocates localism in Can football. I, do you know what? Um, now, Alex, every time, and this is the same for you, but every time I think about Jonathan Wilson, all I think about is those doors not opening. And oh, disaster yeah every that, single that was time. one of the single most depressing stories that i've ever heard yeah go back and yeah. listen to if, if i can't really remember the details and i don't want to do it disjustice but we had jonathan no. wilson on the podcast a couple of years ago and he told us the story and it's literally it's all i can think about when i think about jonathan wilson anyway go on go ahead um yes so no i think i think if if you're looking at if you're looking at the premier league say um i think in order to be great what you mean a period of, of sustainability and success. So I would say that uh, Manchester City are pretty great already, but but are one really good striker away from that. I think Chelsea, I think their step is actually time also possibly signing a striker. I mean, Timo Werner's miss against uh, North Macedonia yesterday is indicative of a player Hard with to watch just... That zero oh, confidence and 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 some something needs to happen there Werner is not a bad player um it may be that he's being used back I, I don't know what it is because this was a guy who was very very good for Leipzig but he just looks to have completely lost it um I also think Manchester United potentially are a very very good defensive midfielder away from being a genuine challenger again um so yeah, I mean, it's it's a more complex question than that, isn't it? Because greatness is, I mean, I suppose greatness. We're talking about things like Guardiola's period at Barcelona, that kind of sustained point of of success and building on something. And I just don't know that that's possible in football nowadays. I think there's there's too much flux, and it's too easy to buy in talent. And well, uh, Seb, have you got any ideas on that one? Uh, I don't really care. Like I. <laughs> Okay, I, 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 I don't. It's, no, I, What's I wrong, wrong with you? I thought Alex was I, the miserable one. What I happened to this young, any, fun guy who was always having fun? For the was, question was uh, it's like, it's, what happened to that guy who enjoyed his life? Remember him? You what moved to Germany. You should be really work schedule. No, that's it's true. Just, is it? Is it because you've moved to Germany? No, no, no. It's just like I, I don't. Something to do with the air over there in Germany. It's the fault of the question. Is it because Hassan is miserable about the football results, and that's affected? No, that has your not. Mood? Um, that that has not spread through the house yet, because you know I've had quite an, a good few days of well, not watching Spurs. <laughs> I'm pretty happy, I'll be honest. Do you think it's terminal? But, whatever's causing this problem? No, I, I just I, I think it was something provoked by the question. Yeah, you know, you just stop asking provoked. questions of me okay. and direct your you know direct your frustration with. I'll ask a question of myself. Yonit Triff. This question's from uh, Dr. Radler. What do horses dream of when they're prancing through the celestial sea? Sexier horses, of course. That's, uh, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, here's a question from... Uh, Special lions. <laughs> Gaurav Amatyai. Uh, sorry, I've butchered your name. 
why United needs a central defensive midfielder. Oh, it's almost as if you planned this, Alex. Uh, United needs a central defensive <laughs> midfielder more than anything this summer. Do one, please, even if it's a separate video. It's not going to be a separate video, you cheeky uh, go-rav. Cheeky go-rav. Uh, it could have been. It's actually not a bad idea for a separate video. I'm pretty sure we've made it about seven times, though, so I <laughs> don't think we can do that again. But uh, the question, I mean, says, why do they need one? I think that's plain to see. Uh, but you could describe it if you want. But I'm more interested in uh, why you think it should be Eduardo Camavinga. <laughs> uh, well, for that, you will you will have to wait for a video. Um, no, we. Uh, I, I helped out Carl Anker, uh, who is one of the Athletics Manchester United um, writers, do a piece on exactly this. Um along with some data stuff provided by Tom Warville and Mark Carey, provide uh, suggestions and data on a number of players that United could use as uh, a defensive midfielder. And we, we kind of broke it up into different types. So there's more creative types, more destructive types. Uh, and the rationale for those players also addresses why United desperately need one. Uh, so I would direct you to The Athletic oh. for your answer to that question. Come on, give us a bit of a tease. A bit more than that. <laughs> um, Just one sentence. It'll help them Because it knits everything else together, doesn't it? Ah. If, you, if you want to get the ball forwards, particularly to quite a country. <laughs> if you want to get the ball forwards, that's like a great advert for a football team, isn't it? Very specific to like a manager or a director of football. If you're sitting at home and you're thinking, why can't your team get the ball forwards as much as other teams? Well, if you want to do that, you should try subscribing to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO in order to... Fulfill get the ball your forwards. Get the ball forwards. Right, call us now on 0800 Midfield Gov. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he got involved in the joke, he still sounded sad. I don't know what that is, but uh, <laughs> don't sound that's, sad. that's what I made sound it moody good. and weird. You sounded sad. <laughs> One of the best uh, YouTube comments uh, I've ever seen was on our podcast the other day. And it just said two Eeyores and a Tigger. And I thought, you know what? That is, that's actually pretty spot on, isn't it? That's pretty spot on. Anyway, we'll be back after this break. Uh, and it's probably a break in order that you can listen to an advert. So I hope you enjoy it. Or if you don't like adverts, who the fuck does, right? Then you could visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO and enjoy this advert. And you can listen to our podcast on the Athletics app ad-free. Um, so there's, you know, there's your option or just, you know, whatever, whatever's happening now for you. Enjoy. I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, uh, we're back. We've got some more questions from listeners. Thanks for sending these in, listeners. Couldn't bear to talk about the international football again. Hey, Flapjack GT has a question. Which players do you knowingly overrate because you saw them once and they were brilliant? I've got an answer to this question. Is uh, it Robbie Brady? It's not Robbie Brady. How dare you? Uh, but it's not strictly an answer to this question because this question says saw them once and I saw them uh, you know, a number of times. But it kind of works because it's Cameron Jerome and uh, every time I watched him in, in a championship game at uh, Carrow Road, I thought, oh, fucking hell, this guy's amazing. This guy's amazing. And then whenever I watched him in a Premier League game at Carrow Road, I thought, oh, right, yeah. I forgot. There's just something about this gap that... I mean, my expectation is too great of Cameron Jerome. But uh, yeah, the quality of that guy in the championship, unbelievable. Uh, Seb, what's your answer? Terry Cook. So Terry Cook was a Manchester United player. He came through the Manchester United youth system. And I didn't even watch him in person. I think I was about seven or eight years old. And I saw about 15 seconds of him on Match of the Day in which he did an outrageous little backhill. And that convinced me for about five years that he was going to be great. That he started to slide down the league to like Burnley and um, pretty wealthy Manchester City uh, didn't seem to dissuade me. But I have now that he's 44 and retired, I have accepted that Terry Cook probably not going to be a uh, 
Yeah. An era-defining talent, sadly. People will probably be now accepting that you know, over the last few years, uh, reluctantly so, with Ravel Morrison as well, right? That kind of player. Uh, yeah, but I, I think Ravel Morrison, if you said Ravel Morrison, I think you'd have a point because you couldn't foresee some of the, the issues which occurred. But Terry Cook was just um, me focusing on one single bit of play that I'd never seen before, <laughs> translating it into this decadent career that was going to roll out ahead of him. Poor Terry uh, Cook. Good Alex, player, you got one. not, you know. I have got one, but I can't remember their name. Well, that's it's Chris Marsden, Alex. No, you can't overrate Chris Marsden. <laughs> Chris Marsden was a genius. No, there was um there was a uh, a winger at Newcastle a couple of years back. Rolando Arons. There you go. Oh. I knew it would come to me. Um, and I again, I saw not in person. I saw Arons score a genuinely incredible goal on match of the day after a performance that included trickery and dribbling. I can't remember who it was against. And I just thought, he's going to be amazing. Really amazing. And Do you think if we were recording this in 10 years' vanished. time, you might say Ibrahim Singare? Uh, no, because his numbers have been consistently great at PSV this season. Actually. 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 You, you went all serious there. The joking stopped. That's the measure. That's the measure of uh, that kind of rebuttal, isn't it? When someone pauses and then says, actually, at the end of their sentence. Yeah. Uh, the humor okay. drained out of his voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a question from, hmm, hmm. Is Aguero better than Shearer? No. Because of nostalgia. That's how it works. In 20 years' time, might look back and say he was, but you can't you can't summon the tides of time too soon. You understand what I'm saying? It's not okay. You're not allowed to you know bring forth the nostalgia until it is there. We all realise, right, that when we live our lives, we mostly uh, have a rubbish time while it's happening, and then we look back and we go, "Oh, that was quite fun, wasn't it?" Or, "Oh, that wasn't so bad," even when it was fucking horrible when it was happening. Yeah, it's the same. I'm looking back at Alan Shearer now and thinking, "Wow, he was an incredible player." And, uh, you know, of course Aguero's not as good as him. In 20 years' time, we'll look back and we'll think, who knows? They were both fantastic. Everything's fine. I was on drugs, you know? Seb? Uh, well, I was I was going to side with Shearer, and I was going to be a bit more definitive about it. Because oh. maybe a little, bit of, a little bit of Shearer, but also a little bit of nostalgia, sorry. But also yeah. because Shearer's goals were generally scored in teams which were much, much worse. Yeah, I, I accept that sort of... Um, for probably two and a half years, that Black Van side was excellent, but it was still propped up by Jason Wilcox and Stuart Ripley. It still had Tim Sherwood in central midfield. Sutton was a very good foil for Shearer. Shearer scored just in the Premier League in three consecutive years, just in the league, 31 goals, 34, 31. That's amazing yeah. as, a, yeah. as a return. And Sergio Aguero has never broken 30 goals in a Premier League season. No. Which Partly due to he's a bit fragile and he's had injury difficulties and, and that kind of thing. So that's And he's in a team with lots of other players who score goals and they play uh, a different style of football, isn't he? He's not always the focal point, right? Yeah, but I, I just think for me, and this is not just me being an old man about it, I think Shearer score goals in, um, in many more different ways. I think also, even today, 20 years later, I think he's still kind of the archetype for the Premier League centre-forward. It's probably why Harry Kane has been so successful. He's the closest thing to Shearer today. Um, and yeah, he was just, uh, he was a menace. He was technically brilliant. Could score goals with the head with both feet. But he was also really physical and nasty to play against. Occasionally loved to elbow centre-half. Could mess yeah. it up a little bit. Like, I just think he's, um, I think he's underrated. Because I I think people look at him, him as belonging to that different age and are a little bit sneery about what he achieved. 260 Premier League goals. Like that's amazing, that's stunning, amazing. And you've modelled your haircut on him ever since. I involuntarily, yes. Like yeah. I, I didn't originally, or just unconsciously. You know. Over time, I've had to accept that I've had to accept Shira as a bit of a role model. It's been yeah. difficult, but you know. <laughs> Can I say though? Here's a couple of here's a couple of things. One, I believe Aguero would score many goals in a rubbish team. But two, his legacy is an interesting one, isn't it? Because he plays for Man City. And I don't mean this to disappoint or upset Manchester City fans. I'm not trying to be deliberately uh, provocative. But it does have an impact. 
on the way that people will view him retrospectively. Because he's undoubtedly an incredible player. He's one of the best that the Premier League has ever seen. He had his special moment, which will, of course, go down in in history, um, his Aguero moment. and uh, But beyond that, I mean, that's the one, isn't it? That's the one that people are going to remember him for. It's, it's a weird thing for strikers, isn't it? Because I think... I think if you're if you you wouldn't say the same thing about Kevin De Bruyne, for example, you know, in in ten twenty years time or whatever, you look back and Kevin De Bruyne is one of the great attacking midfielders, creative midfielders that's played in English football. But because Aguero's a striker and is at the end of all of that stuff, there's almost an assumption that because you've got so much creativity behind, then it's easier, and I and I think that's. I think that is quite unfair on strikers. I I would also argue that that it it cuts both ways because yes, Shearer played in a functional Blackburn team, but it was a functional Blackburn team that was geared towards providing him with scoring opportunities. I was going to say, how many chances way, so. per game do you think he was getting when he scored those thirty plus goal league seasons? I mean, I I think I think the answer is that Shearer is better. I that that is my opinion as sure. well. Um, but but I also think that effectively these sorts of arguments are pointless. Because, yeah, we're going to the, have it anyway. Well, no, no, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but because because you know styles are different, physical attributes are different, teams play differently. It, like you just comparing like for like, unless you're basically looking at the same position in the same sort of team over the same sort of season, it just just doesn't really mean very much. With Shearer, though, do you not feel like that Blackburn side was a 4-4-2 and its asset was the two wingers, Ripley and Wilcox, but Shearer didn't just score 30 headers a season or, or 30 um, you know, cutback crosses from inside the six-yard box. Like The range of his influence was amazing. And actually, it broadened out when he was at Newcastle. And if you think about what he lacked, so there was no kind of scheming, playmaking number 10 in that side. There was no, um, there's nobody who could um, play the kind of creative balls that you associate with, for instance, like a Kevin De Bruyne. Like in many ways, Shearer was his own forward department. Whereas I think Sergio Aguero is brilliant. I mean, he's one of the few players that you, every time he gets the ball, when he's playing against your team, you're afraid. And that's, you know, there is no greater respect than that. But at the same time, I still see him as a little bit of an extension of, of, of his side um, as a as a kind of, final piece in the Manchester City jigsaw it's it's interesting I, I I think Alex is right in the sense that it's completely it's a redundant argument because football has changed so much but it's it's very difficult to it's very difficult at least to elevate anybody above Shearer I'll, I'll put it that way because of what he achieved and what he achieved um with what he had around him I think that's that's kind of overlooked a little bit I think being the final piece in a jigsaw is a skill in itself though which is probably an underrated skill no, 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 because no. it's you're 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 placed into the jigsaw, like you're purchased for having a specific. I, I don't set think of you are placed in the jigsaw, though. I th- I think but there's that a is degree literally what City which... did with Aguero. He is he is that player playing that role. He is the predator in that side. Whereas I you don't still know, need there to isn't... develop understanding. You still need to get used. I mean, I like I take your point, and I think we we are both agreeing on on most of this. I just think that perhaps it's unfair to Aguero generally just to reduce it to that I don't think we're reducing him because I still think we're acknowledging that he is a wonderfully eclectic goal scorer like one of the best natural finishers I've seen in the league definitely 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 the difference for me is that there is no Blackburn without Alan Shearer there is no Newcastle you know I mean however you rate their quote-unquote achievements during that period when he returned back to, to, to the <laughs> If Northeast. you put quote-unquote around them, you obviously don't rate them Yeah, I, I know, it's just a kind of like, you, you get the kind of sneer, well, what did he win at Newcastle, like, thing. But yeah. that's just, that's kind of beside the point. Whereas I always felt with Aguero, and this is probably um, a result of City's resources, and yeah, probably quite right. It's probably not something to hold against him. But if they don't get Aguero, their future is, their, 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 their history is a little bit different. But at the same time, they spend a huge amount of money on somebody else who is excellent in a different way, perhaps. Whereas with Shira, I never had the same vibe. It was a, it was a slightly different dynamic within it, of a career, if that makes sense. So it's it's kind of apples and oranges. So it's it's a really hard one. But I, I don't think we're reducing Sergio Aguero. I just think it's a, I don't know. 
I've never, it doesn't provoke the same thing for me. Oh, the good old days, eh? Back in the days. There's a guy I see wandering around Winchester where I now live who's wearing a a Euro 96 grey England shirt. Oh, he's getting into the vibe. Every he's getting time excited. I see him, I get, I get that kind of like, oh, it's it's going to happen that, soon. It's it's, do you reckon that's one he's home. bought recently or one he's had since year 96? Does it fit him well, Alex? He's, grown he's absolutely not old enough to have bought it to wear ah, a year 96. Okay. Oh, right. I was imagining an old man. No. No, no. This, this, this is a is young you? buck. Is that who you're no, talking about? You're the young buck exactly. wandering around Winchester. <laughs> I've got a friend who's doing this and cocking uh, your leg, yeah. uh, pissing uh, against I, the lampposts, letting everyone know. England shirts, actually. Do you know what I was what I was thinking of? For me, I always think of the Wigan Arsenal game on Sunday, the 18th of April, 2010, when Wigan won three two. Who remembers that game? I do. That was the that was a goal when uh, Charles and Zogbia scored. Charles and Zogbia scored. Good player, Charles and Zogbia. Also, Bramble, what's his name? Titus Bramble Titus scored Bramble. in the 89th minute. And uh, Watson, apparently, I can't remember who Watson was. Uh, he scored in the 80th minute. <laughs> did 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 <laughs> Connor incredible. Salmon score in that game? No. There was a terrible goalkeeping error from. <clears throat> it was either Fabianski or Chesney. I, I forget who was keeping goal, but it was Fabianski. I think that was Fabianski. the Bramble goal. It kind of goes under him, right? I think so. Yeah. But the Inzogbia goal is stunning. Really nice, really nice goal. I was yeah. watching that in a pub I worked in, in in Islington. And so there were loads of Arsenal fans in, right? And it just gave me so much joy. <laughs> not because I dislike Arsenal, but you understand, if you're not an Arsenal fan and you work in an Arsenal pub, you can be kind of grating at times. In Islington. In yeah, Islington, sure. like, like right, you know, not far from the stadium. And my friend Dean, my colleague and friend Dean at the time, who was a massive Arsenal fan, who wasn't working, but he'd come in to watch the game and he was sat at the end of the bar. And uh, I just found it so funny. <laughs> I had to really control myself not to upset some people or get myself in trouble. But uh, one of the great one of the great comebacks of all time. Fucking love that game. <sighs> anyway, uh, a couple more questions before we finish. Uh this one is from Pramode Nupane. Sorry, I'm, I'm probably butchering everyone's names today. Apologies for that. Why are English teams of lower stature so afraid to give chances to young progressive managers despite their success throughout Europe? Because it's not how we do it here. Yeah, because you can keep your clever ideas elsewhere. What I want is a football man in a football tracksuit. And I don't know where I'm going with this, but I want him to do the thing on the pitch with the thing. And I want to say, get in the football tracksuit. You get in the the football tracksuit. That's what I want to say. Get in that football tracksuit. There was a tweet yesterday. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I'm not going to name the ex-professional footballer who tweeted it, but... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Essentially, what it was saying was terms like double pivot, expected goals, low block, transition, beat the press, etc. should get in the bin. Get in the bin. Um, <laughs> and and then the responses to this included various other terms um, that yeah. uh, do crop up in TIFO videos. And... While it's very easy to poke fun at somebody who's also doing stuff for engagement and and kind of acting a bit curmudgeonly, I do I do think that there probably is still this tendency that the terminology, which is a probably the easiest way of expressing a lot of those concepts, and b also has a lineage in other sports. You know, so some of these terms come from turnover, comes from rugby, but also basketball, mm. um, pressing blocks, that kind of stuff. You know, the, these these terms aren't necessarily just being created out of nothing, but there is within the English game, I feel like a a real reticence to embrace. Can I tell you thinking, why? Go on, please. It's because of some of the people who say them. That's why. It's that, because it's very easy You're to sound extremely patronising. <laughs> not Alex, not Alex. But like, it's very easy to sound extremely patronising. This is a political thing. This happens in politics too, right? Where you someone comes up with a term which has a, has a reasonable etymology and isn't 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 an unreasonable thing to call this thing. But then they tell people about it, people who already understand essentially the thing, but they understand it in a slightly different way, or or, or being you know called something else. And the way in which those things are 
uh, you know, assumed to be rather smugly, quite so definitive, uh, it can be really patronising. And part of me thinks, eh, go fuck yourself. No, that, that's is, kind of a problem with totally the people. Yeah, right, yeah, and, and, it's, yeah. and it's, it's a problem like with it's, analytics as well. Yeah, it's a massive problem with analytics, for sure. This, this is yeah. why expected goals partly is an issue. It, it's been communicated quite badly in some instances what expected goals actually is, and also, more importantly, what it's useful for. Yeah, but also my if you, goal. If you, yeah. if, you, if, you, <laughs> if you spend a lot of time on, on quote-unquote football Twitter, which is in itself an abhorrent concept and phrase um then you see certain people being quite smug about this stuff or this is less the case now because i think people are, are more aware of how they present um but if you have a certain type of person quite a kind of nerdy introspective worked really really hard on something and thinks he's it's talking important. about himself Alan. i'm <laughs> not Except he's talking about himself <laughs> Let it out, Alex. It's okay. Let it out. Then it's... a certain type of person, nerdy, introspective. I, I just, I just don't know any people like that I at all. I don't know anyone like that. Sam. What? <laughs> <We're> so... <laughs> bit moody, bit sulky. Go Doesn't on, Alex. Take let much it out. Joy in much thing. Go yeah. on. Let it go. I... <laughs> this is kind of strangely cathartic. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I think those those people are quite often bad at, at a putting ideas forward in a in a way that is understandable to a wider group, and also more importantly, not getting defensive when those ideas are challenged. Mm. And yeah. when people say, "But I don't understand what that means, or what its importance is, or even why it's called that," then the answer too often, particularly in the last few years, was well, that's because you don't understand football or you don't see the point of this or whatever. And that is incredibly unhelpful. Um, and yeah, like you say, I think the, the people that use these terms do the terms more disservice than good sometimes. That, that was a little Pe- bit like people a gonna be people. for me. That's the thing. I'm glad it was. I'm glad it was, Alex. I'm glad, I'm glad it was. People are going to be people. Uh, you know, gonna, gonna people gonna. And that's how... That's how that we all works. approach the world, yeah. Uh, one more question from Matt London. Uh, this one's just to upset Seb, I think. Next Spurs manager, who should it be? Uh, in Matt's question, he talked about Nagelsmann, uh, Rogers, Graham Potter, and uh, Hasenhutl. And if you'll notice, I only gave Graham Potter a first name and a surname because he not as famous. Seb. Uh, I don't want to mention any names. I just think it'd be nice to have some low-profile coaching. It's someone with who makes less media noise, who attracts so less of a kind of... Um, Scott Parker. Vicious argument. I, I quite like Scott Parker. No, not Scott Parker yet, because I'm enjoying what he's doing at Fulham and he's still learning. I like this um, game, though, picking picking a sort of a person who fades into the background a little bit. Yeah, someone with ideas, someone with, um, someone's willing to... Someone who captivates and unifies the fan base. I think that's the most important. John Terry. Probably not John Terry, no. Is it possible to, and this is a straight question, is it possible to captivate and unify a fan base without being a little bit bombastic and, and out there? Because fans seem to engage with charismatic managers more no, than I, 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 I think maybe... thoughtful ones. No, I don't, I don't. I'm not sure. I agree because I, I think um, I, I suppose we, we need to create um, a divide between sort of what interests people on, as you said before, football Twitter, and what interests people that go to the stadium. And I think believing that a team is on a journey to somewhere, even if it's not you know winning the Champions League or the Premier League, but just making steady steps forward, and you know with individual players within it growing and developing, that's very unifying. I don't need a I don't need a showman. I don't need someone that's going to say provocative things in press conferences because I don't really care about that. That's so proper nonsense. I think you, you need Graham Potter. Substance. Everything Graham that you're describing guy. is Graham Potter. I think if you if you put someone like that at a club like Spurs, you would get a little bit of snobbery well. in the same way that you would pretty much at any club because you'd be like, yeah, but what's he done? And that's kind of the, the default setting for a lot of fans, I think. He's the pot um, man. You get the pot he man. He is indeed in. the pot man, but you need to... 
you need sorry, to the pot, be given a, an opportunity. Have you just mm. coined a really shit nickname? Why don't we call him the sub pot? Yeah, because he's what happens after Mourinho, and it's you're not really sure what's going to happen. It might not be in the text, but then uh, it, it breaches the text, a sub and he pot. just becomes the pot. Yeah, but he'd be happening at the same time, though, wouldn't he? If he was a sub pot. Yeah, well, that's that, those are the most clever plots. He'd be you know? he'd be like the sort of the um, the epipod. Well, it's like you watch a film that you think is about fighting, but it turns out it's about disability, you know? Yeah, but, it, but it's, not, know. it's not two films sequentially, is it, Joe? No, it happens at the same time. That's what I'm saying. Right, so therefore it's not the same as having Well, the sub Well, the subplot can be concerned with the plot. Yeah, but... I feel like we need a four-day weekend. Anyway, that's probably the end, I think, uh, for Tifo. Uh, podcast um the we've picked <laughs> graham potter there so that's great well done to graham potter congratulations on your new job uh well done to seb i hope seb that you start to um you know feel a little bit better maybe watch a heartwarming film i could suggest yes. the lion king uh, or it's you what know, two weeks of international football does to you joe you just it sure it kind of chisels away at your enthusiasm gradually Hey. But uh, club football this weekend, I'll be happier by the time we record again. You're okay. Yes. You're yeah, okay. okay, fantastic. And uh, Alex, uh, you'll soon have to no longer pull the the weight of attempting to be slightly more upbeat uh, in Seb's absence, uh, and you can go back to being a miserable bastard. I'm so relieved. Yeah, it's going to be exciting for everyone. Uh, they'll be. We'll be back to normal uh, rotation next week. Game relevant, of course, and the the stats and facts database. Stats was it that the the facts and it's facts and stats, facts stats and, and quotes, your, it's your facts database. and quotes. It's yeah. your fucking database. I, technically, I thought I mean, it was quotes and facts. The facts and the quotes and facts database uh, will return uh, as of uh, next next week's podcast. Uh, and um, what else have I got to tell you? Oh, oh, oh! For anyone that's made it to the end of the podcast. We've got some very exciting Euro 2020 plans and plans that are going to happen in 2021, much like the European Championships are, even though they're called the Euros 2020. Uh, I will uh, appraise you all of these more closer to the time, but I want to, to let you know we're going to be doing some hot stuff. Yeah, we're going to be we're going to be riding a wave of uh, creativity and satisfaction unlike any other previously known to uh to man or or depots so look forward to that and you can trust me when i say high quality yep all right uh seb thanks alex thanks uh producer adonis uh thanks as always and we will be back on tuesday au revoir Athletic.